right now on Tech Radio. Could music be banned from the internet? Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RT Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. This is episode 1004, where this week we're looking at a huge row over music online, AI in web browsers, and how Apple are sticking it to the EU while Taylor's sticking it to the US. Plus, we have a great look at the most productive tool that you can use on the internet as we chat with Colin Baker from Laptop Lab. From techcentral.ie, this is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining me as always is our Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Now, before we get into all the news, you said that you've something to ask me and I hate you when, when you do this unannounced. What is it? Yeah, kind of related to some stories we're going to be covering later, but can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I ask you, did you watch Eurosong on Friday? A little, yes. Are you dipped aware? In, dipped out. Are you aware of the monarch we are sending to Malmo in May? Yes, of course I'm very aware. They have been making such headlines during the week. Uh, Bambi Tug, if I remember, is the name. I think the song is absolutely awful. But I think it's going to do very, very well. It's very Eurovision. It's very well staged. Or Mm. rather, it will be fantastically staged. It was well staged on limited resources. It will be fantastically staged on a bigger, on a bigger stage in a big arena, etc. Right. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Bambi Thug is currently at number one in the Irish viral chart. To what extent do you think that success will translate to an international jury? Because we're seeing really good metrics on Spotify. We're seeing really interesting slash divisive reactions on YouTube. What extent do you predict, and this is only a prediction, that this will translate to a positive audience and or judge reaction in May? I think this is a really interesting example. I've given you my answer already. I think it's a terrible song. I think it's going to do really well. And for all of those reasons, it is so incredibly different. Uh, The fact that Bambi Thug is a non-binary, I think is a huge plus. Uh, I think the whole staging and and the look and everything is fantastic. Um, I love the jazzy little bit where it gets quiet in the middle of the song. Uh, The I, I, I is a bit annoying. But look, I just think it's going to be... Do you know, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think it's going to be Ireland's most successful entry since Jedward. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Shoot me now. I'm, I'm going to actually go with you on that. I'm, I'm going to say we're going to, we're going to make it to the final. It's going to be left side of the scoreboard. Um, they are going to do us very, very proud indeed. What I am interested in is do the numbers stack up because right now, they're getting there. They're getting there. So let's see how it translates into the real world. Yeah, I think I, I think the whole internet, TikTok, uh, social, everything is is going to blow up on that all over Europe, and I think it's going to be massively successful. There's, there's my thing. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, Eurosong or Eurovision, but we are here to talk about uh, Europe because uh, Apple, our good friends, 
sarcastic, uh, are really sticking it to the EU. We've got the EU Digital Markets Act, uh, which is coming, and the whole idea is to protect consumers and to give choice to consumers. As we all know, when you are on an Apple phone, you can only get things through the Apple Store. And a huge part of this Digital Markets Act is to allow other people to operate their own app-type stores on an iPhone. And Apple are not happy with this, but they have to go with it. They certainly <laughs> so, do. So how are they going with it then? Oh, what, what, under what would you categorize this, Dusty? <laughs> would you say chicanery or would you say cutourism? Skullduggery. Skullduggery. That's, that's another good word for it. Uh, from, from what I can see, essentially what they're doing is going, okay, all right, okay. If you want to have an app uh, on the Apple uh, iPhone device or any of our devices, we can make this happen. That's fine. But the first thing is, is that you will need to pay uh, one million euro <laughs> as uh, <laughs> kind of a proof of credit and some other kind of a fee. So it's a million euro straight into Apple's bank, just as like a deposit more than anything else. All right. Yeah. Well, and you then, know, if, if you want to do things their way, well... I think the terms are much more favourable. Uh, they are laying it out of what their way is. They've got so many stringent rules and regulations and standards and it has to be done this way and that way and blah, 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 blah and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's the kind of thing where they've done it in such a way that nobody in their right mind would actually want to open up an app store on an iPhone other than Apple, yeah. of course. Yeah, anyway. I, I think that's really, really interesting. What, what's, the, what's the word from the EU on this? Nothing yet. But okay. I have a nothing yet, um, and I don't think the EU will say anything because Apple will have applied with the law. But yeah. I think it might take a case if somebody wanted to, uh, where they would take a case to the EU and say, "Well, you know, Apple are following the letter of the law, but not in a fair and just manner." And that's yeah. what it'll take for them for things to change. This, this sort of, but not really, reminds me of the case of the Minitel. You remember mm. we covered this years ago. Um, yeah. th those wonderful little terminals that were connected by something that wasn't quite the internet. But you could develop apps for it, but you had to demonstrate, what was it, like £25,000 in the old money um, that you had it before you yeah. started developing anything. Uh, yeah. There was very sceptical outlook. Uh, I think this is kind of the same as mm. that in spirit. It's like, let's price people out of the market. We don't want people doing this. We can, we, we can be legal, but let's just make it so annoying that people will just not bother. Yeah. Listen, do you know what? I think, I think kind of in one way, it's, it's, I mean, Apple are just being Apple. They, they, they're, they want their walled garden and they don't want anybody else in there. So they're, they're just doing that. And I suppose from a business point of view and from Apple's point of view, it makes absolute sense. It may not be fair, but it makes sense from their point of view and it's legal. I think there are so many other things in the EU Digital Market Acts that uh, Apple have to comply with and that will improve our lives that I, I don't think I'll be too bothered with this. This is, this is because Apple were forced to swallow USB-C. That's why. Just a bit of tit for tat, really, isn't it? Uh, I don't think it is. I, I think Apple will just say no to everything as, as, as long as they can. Uh, what else is in the news this week? Uh, let's look at AI in web browsers because it's getting more and more common. Uh, we had a story on techcentral.ie about it uh, this week. Uh, and one of the things, I mean, we're used to Microsoft. Microsoft are kind of doing quite well at the moment with their Edge browser because they've built Copilot into it. And Copilot mm. is actually kind of useful. 
Mm-hmm. It does all of the things that uh, we're used to with uh, ChatGPT, uh, but it's also able to look up stuff on the internet. When I first started using Copilot, it was a bit ropey. I noticed that it's getting better and better as time goes on. And the fact it's built into the Edge browser is fantastic. The only thing is... I don't use the edge browser. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, think I, I have a feeling I may not be the only one, but the fact it's in there is uh, is good. Google uh, have got uh, some stuff in there as well. It's kind of a little bit hidden and you have to turn it on, but they have like a writing assistant and they're building these things in as well. So if you want to help me write this, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, Bard is not necessarily built into it just yet. I don't think it's too common in the EU, is it? No, so I think and I, I think it's a lot to do with AI. EU regulations and, and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, but from that article on, on techcentral.ie, what, what other AI are we seeing in web browsers? Well, much, much more malicious, I mm. suppose, if you want to move on to uh, another story this week. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there is the eternal problem of AI and the generation of images, in particular, yep. the use of AI in generating deepfakes. Uh, which we've talked about quite a bit uh, on the show over the past year. Um, one group of people you do not want to mess with in life in general is uh, the Swifties. And one person in life you really don't want to mess with is their queen, um, Taylor Swift. Uh, unfortunately, she had a number of AI generated uh, deep fake images of her circulated on various social media platforms, <laughs> formerly Twitter. Um, and, uh, thankfully she was able to take action, but of course, social networks being social networks, the response was wholly inadequate to what she needed. So hmm. she did the smart thing that, uh, very wealthy people in the States can go to and, uh, managed, I don't know if she actually did this herself or interests on her behalf. We all know how American politics works, uh, Took this, took this to uh, to the big house, took this to Congress in America and senators uh, have put together something called the Disrupt Explicit Forged Images and Non-Consensual Edits Act of 2024. Woohoo! Uh, Rolled off the is, tongue. <laughs> which is also called the Defiance Act. Okay. So let's, let's just stick with that. Um, and what's interesting about this is that it's a bipartisan bill. In the States, you don't get these very often. This Mm. is, you know, uh, across the aisle, Republicans and Democrats together. uh, You've got the Senate Majority Whip, Dick Durbin. You've got Senators Lindsey Graham, Amy Klumbucher and Josh Hawley. Uh, Very different. A a team of rivals, um, if you you want to borrow a phrase. Uh, And it looks like this is going to pass without very much, you know, um, trouble or, you know, kerfuffle. Um, it's it's a very simple, uh, it's a very complicated problem. So let's just clamp down with a very, um, how would you say, uh, but very that's, that's the question. What, solution. What 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 is it going to be? What is the solution going to be? You know. Well, you know what you tend to find if you make platforms liable for what's on them, they get very interested in sorting out the problems very quickly. Uh, yes, actually. And do you know, I can, I can't, somebody had a quote recently and they said, at the moment, what we're seeing is the Wild West 
of AI. I was like the early days of the internet when it was the wild west of the internet, uh, when people were, you know, sharing MP3s and movies and all that kind of stuff, uh, which people just don't seem to do anymore because for a small mm. subscription uh, month to month with whoever it is, Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube, uh, you get all the music in the world. And they mm. just made it super easy. And the same with movies and stuff like that and, and, and downloaded. So I think that the deep fake thing it will be sorted in some way. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the measure that's being proposed is uh, you will be able to take platforms to court and sue them civilly, mm. uh, where the, um, uh, how would you say, the bar is much, much lower. Um, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost a, a lot of platforms an awful lot of money uh, to, you know, not enforce the Defiance Act. So, mm. you know, it's the only thing they understand. Grand and uh, and we have Taylor Swift to thank for it, yep. and, and and all her wonderful music as well. Uh, speaking of music, uh, another that's been blown up this week now is TikTok and uh, Universal. Yeah, this, now, this speaks to your alarmist alarmist introduction. <laughs> Indeed, could music be banned off the internet? It could, and well, it certainly could be banned off TikTok the way they're talking at the moment. Certainly, yeah. Uh, Universal it, Music Group have a, have some ideas on that. Uh, hmm. They had some class of licensing agreement with TikTok to make sure that, yes, you can use our music. Uh, yeah. We're not going to sue you for it. Um, that agreement came up for renewal. Universal said, you know what? You're, you, we're potentially losing out on an awful lot of money here. No, sorry. We're, 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 we are protecting the interests of emerging artists mm -hmm. who are, you know, they, they need all this money that is being generated on TikTok. Mm -hmm. uh, not a matter of us needing it or the fact that, you know, artists getting paid a fraction of a pittance yeah, for having yeah. their music appear in videos. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to start pulling our material if you don't give us better terms. Uh, TikTok said, no, we're not going to do that. So Universal has said, right, we're pulling our music. TikTok, mm -hmm. uh, as at time of recording, said, that's fine. <laughs> Where you go. Yeah, I, I can tell you now who's going to win that argument. TikTok. No, oh. it'll be Universal. Absolutely, right. of course. Okay. Listen, well, Universal own the right to the music, okay? Mm -hmm. And they own the right to license the music to whoever. And there is a structure in place for uh, anybody to be able to use Universal Music, provided that they pay whatever the rate happens to be, all right? And Universal mm -hmm. can set that rate of whatever it is that they want it to be, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and there's too much precedent over decades with music copyright law. Universal are, are absolutely within the right here, okay? Uh, TikTok's uh, argument back is saying, but we're promoting the music. No, mm -hmm. Universal don't care, all right? Uh, promoting the music is up to the bands and the managers and the whatever and all that kind of stuff, all right? Uh, here, here's a little thing that I found out years ago in, in, in another business, and it kind of surprised me, but when I think about it, it's like, well, duh. Uh, when you go to a concert and after the gig, you go out and you buy a CD specifically, mm. all right? Um, the band have to buy that CD from the record company at the record company's rate that it would sell to shops. Wow. All right, because that's wow. the deal. The band have a deal with the record company to make their CDs, blah, 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 or whatever, and the record company have the price for the thing, and that is the only way that it can go out there, and it applies to everybody, including the band. 
Wow. So I did not it, know that. Yeah, yeah. So it just led to a, a very strange situation where myself and, and the leader of a, of a very well-known band in Ireland uh, and we were abroad and about to go to do a gig and, and we needed stock to sell uh, mm. and I had to go to, you know, the local office of the record company and they just gave us the invoice. I was like, well, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And then that, that's how I learned about it anyway. Um, so anyway, the whole thing with uh, TikTok is Universal owned the music. There's no question of it, okay? And if you want to use that music, you have to go through Universal, all right? Uh, TikTok are making money out of uh, having that music included as part of its product or having it included uh, on their platform, whether they uh, put it there or not. Uh, TikTok are making a serious amount of money and Universal just saying, right, well, we want a fair share of that. They're making $30 billion in a quarter, every three okay. months. It's 10 billion right. a month they're turning over. Well, here's the thing, right? Uh, I personally think TikTok are, is going to come out on top because what are all the other record labels doing? Oh, they will follow Universal and they will back Universal up to the hilt. You reckon? Oh, absolutely. I think, Be- I think there's, there's room to be a differentiator there. I think there's room for lots of smaller record labels. No, 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 no. I don't think you've got, you've got this three players in the market. Okay. Universal are the biggest, followed by Sony, followed by Warner. That's it. You've got like 85% of the world's music in those three companies. Mm, Okay. And they're all going to back each other up. TikTok hasn't a hope in this war. Mm. Not a hope. We will... I'm going to file that under wait and see because I think TikTok will find a way around it. Whether it's it's putting servers in China or or doing something, uh, I think they're going to find a way around it. I don't don't think that'll work either. And I I think it's, uh, it's, it's, again, like we were talking about Apple and the EU, I think it's just business. It's business at a level, it's at a global level that we're not used to, okay? So you've got these two global giants. You're talking about billions and billions and billions and billions, right? One of them is saying, well, you are using our product as part of your thing and and it is entertainment and we should get a cut. And then TikTok are kind of another global brand and they're saying, well, actually, do you know what? We're doing you a favor by kind of, you know, getting your music out there and then and blah, 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 blah. So in fact, not only are we not going to pay your increased demand, but we're going to offer less than we did the last time. Well, that's a very interesting point in that you have people effectively making music videos for Universal Music en masse. That's a pretty powerful promotional tool. Uh, yes. It is a promotional tool, but it's only it's only a small, small, small part of the overall business. It's only a small part of the overall business. And there are other ways of promoting. TikTok is not the only way of promoting things. So uh, anyway, you're veering into music copyright, which is kind of like copyright is one of my favorite little things. I remember speaking to a barrister, not a solicitor, right? We're up there at barrister level, all right? Okay. Uh, and we were discussing the, uh, the Copyright 2012 Act in detail. Uh, and he was kind of looking at me going... You know a lot. And I went, well, I read it. And he went, you read all of it? And I went, pretty much. And he's like, oh, holy God. <laughs> Nobody actually does that. Nobody does that, yeah. But actually, do you know what? When you think about it, just the way human beings I- I- interact and work with each other, it's actually, it's, it's fascinating. And particularly with copyright, because uh, often it's something that's not 
it's not like a table. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of like I wrote a book or I made a movie or a song. And if you sing my song in the street, well, then really I should be taking some money out of the, the hat in front of you. Do you yeah. If you want to go. Into which that is way, which, yeah. you know, uh, actually goes to the Taylor Swift story. Uh, I mean, if you are making a deep fake of someone who has mm. image rights that they sell, are you infringing on copyright by making a deep fake? <laughs> That was the whole uh, argument with the actors' strike in, in America because the mm. movie companies, again, quite rightly in their own self-interest, were saying, well, all right, well, you're a young actor, so tell you what, we'll take your image and uh, we want the right to be able to use that uh, using artificial intelligence for the rest of your life. And the mm. actors are going, get lost, you know? Yeah. So uh, they, they have to stand up and they, and they have to look after themselves. It's yeah. a changing world. I think world. Bruce Willis was the uh, proof of concept on that, wasn't he? Bruce Willis did a... Did a well, a computer generated Bruce Willis did an ad, um, and uh, naturally enough, got mm. paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we 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 all know why it's a very un- unfortunate case where he can't work. Mm. Um, and this was uh, sort of a, a solution to that. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you start with deepfake cameos then? Oh, I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, we, we are working on a really interesting project at the moment for a radio station uh, where they're looking for um, one of their presenters is leaving, but they want to continue using that presenter for doing you know, kind of uh, short features. Mm. Uh, and we are actually able, with the presenter's consent, of course, uh, to record. Uh, we record about three hours with him and we train an, EI, an AI based on his voice. And he can go off and retire, uh, but we will be able to use his voice for the next... I mean, obviously, when he dies, we'll stop using it <laughs> because that would just be too weird. Um, be very but weird. until that time, we can continue using his voice with stuff that we create by just typing words. Right. So if I start saying kind of off-colour things on network on next week's show, <laughs> yeah, it's because yeah. we'll, we'll have had a falling out. <laughs> you don't want to mess with the format. Uh, we'll never fall out, Niall. Uh, listen, <laughs> let's get to our last story this week. Good news and bad news this week for Elon Musk. Do you, are you going to give us the good or the bad first? I'll give us the good news. Uh, good news is the first successful implant of a Neuralink mm. device. Uh, Neuralink being, of course, the very ambitious human machine interface um, that uh, one of Mr. Musk's companies have been working away on. Mm -hmm. Uh, The patient in question is doing very well. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. Um, What are we going to see these things actually used for? Are Mm -hmm. we looking at sort of, well, I imagine sort of neural stimulation projects Um, And I'm sure they would have a role in rehabilitation projects uh, down the line. Um, What what applications are we going to look for? Is this something that will interact with other devices that do other things in the body? Um, it's, It's all up in the air for me at the moment. A friend of mine had an operation done abroad and basically they put some, it wasn't sensors, but they put electrodes into his brain. Mm-hmm. And attached the electrodes then to, because he, he was very, um, 
I can't describe the way he, he comes across as a very nervous kind of a person because he's always like, you know, kind of his hands is shaking or, or his mm. head would be ticking or something like that. And it's not that there's anything wrong with it, it's just his brain is kind of, it's almost going too fast or it goes mm. too fast and then it kind of like stops for a couple of seconds and then continues on. So they mm. put these electrodes in and they've attached it to a regulator and essentially what the regulator does is it puts a pulse into his brain once a second and it regulates everything and he's now all, he's normal. Wow. It's just like insane. That was a couple of years ago they did that. And now Elon Musk and his company, uh, Neuralink, are putting stuff into people's brains. And I can understand how they're doing it. Maybe they're retraining the brain or connecting the brain back to some muscles so that the muscles will get the right signals so people will be able to walk again. Uh, who knows? You know, yeah. the only this, thing... This is one of these uh, kind of, it's almost like basic research technologies, really. You know, we're we're just waiting to see what the applications are. Exactly, exactly. And in the back of my mind, I just think about Star Trek. <laughs> because why not? But exactly. Because you think about Star Trek of, anyway. Lots of, yeah, exactly. But lots of stuff they, they came up with on the show is like turning into in, into fact. Lots of stuff that yeah. uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote about has become fact. It's like, it's mm. just amazing, you know? So that's the good news. All right. Uh, he's doing some good in the world. On the bad news, um, he is, it, 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 he had a huge payoff, not a payoff, but he got a huge amount of money from uh, Tesla and it was, what was it, 50 billion or something like that? Well, it's, this is his pay package from It's his Tesla. pay package, his wages. Right. So right. this man... Does this include PRSI and PAYE? <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is part of the, part of the uh, argument that's being had at the moment. But uh, basically, Elon Musk is paid $55.8 billion dollars um, that's his compensation package. Hang on, let me get that right. Tesla. 55 billion with billion. a B. Would it be? Yeah, right. That's how much he is worth to Tesla. Mm -hmm. So said Tesla's, you know, board, uh, which is stuffed with people that Elon knows and will ah. say, absolutely, he is worth this kind of money. So right. let me guess, right? Some shareholder looked at this and went, he's not worth 55 billion a year and has done something about it. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. And this is a case that's been running for five years in the court uh, in Delaware, where um, uh, Tesla is incorporated. Now, why would you incorporate in Delaware? Well, it is the second old, oldest state in the US. What more do you need to know? Uh, no, um, Delaware has famously, famously sympathetic uh, judicial system. Uh, it's a, they have dedicated corporate courts to mm. make sort of actions flow mm. much more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, they also have very low tax rates, apparently. Um, so it's incredibly business friendly, which is why you see so many Fortune 500 companies incorporating in Delaware. Uh, and all you need is like one person saying, yep, I'm the, I'm the Delaware office. This is, you know, this is me. Yeah. Um, that's all you need. Um, so uh, it actually comes up in uh, the social network. If you remember, there's a scene with Peter Thiel and uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the first, oh, oh, one yeah, of the first pieces of advice is, is set, set yeah, up in well, Delaware. Corporation Delaware. Yeah. Now that uh, works like out this. for most people. Why has this not worked out for, uh, for Elon in this particular case? Yeah. Well, as, as you sort of uh, guessed there, you guessed correctly. Uh, an activist shareholder piped up and went, no, 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 he's not worth that much to us. The company is doing well, but we don't need to pay this guy 56 million to 
to stay yeah. in the company that, you know, has made him a fortune and made him uh, a global icon, mm. basically. Musk himself said that he's worth the money because he is going to use it all to fund man's expansion into space. Uh, to which the argument is, well, you can spend that money on whatever you want. Uh, what's it to do with Tesla? Spend it on anything you like. Yeah. But, you know, well, how does that benefit Tesla? Um, Tesla has had a lot of problems like this in recent years. Um, they got, uh, their board members got into trouble for paying each other far too much. Um, mm. And uh, it's it's similar with uh, with Musk here. And the judge came down and said, you know what? Um, shareholders are actually right in this. Uh, Elon Musk is not worth this much money. Uh, he has no plans to leave the company. Yeah. Um, so you're not actually paying that much to, you know, hang on to his services. He d- hasn't even committed to spending a certain amount of time with the company. He could be doing an hour a week uh, and he'd still be on the same package. Yeah, yeah. So I know, look, I this know, is not I, justified I, at all. I know many CEOs who are like that. <laughs> so basically the court has said, all right, Elon, uh, you're not worth that. You need to go back to the table. And Elon, yeah. no doubt, is going to do what everybody does in that is, I'm going to appeal. Or he's going to move well, the company to somewhere else. But sure, you can, we'll, we'll, you can we'll, imagine, we'll, yeah, he's he's thrown his toys out of the pram saying, don't don't uh, incorporate yeah, Delaware. Yeah. Better to go to place X, place Y. Do you know I what? probably won't do it, but there you go. Elon Musk must have a very empty pram because he to- throws so many toys out of it. <laughs> Look well, at he space. has all the toys in the world. Pram. There you go. There you go. He's got pockets. That's it for our news for this week, Niall. As always, thanks for keeping us up to date. Share the knowledge and invite a friend to listen. Search Apple, Spotify, or YouTube for Tech Radio Ireland. Now, the humble PC may not be our direct link to the internet as much as it used to be, thanks to smartphones and having them in your hand, but they still cannot be beaten as a productivity tool. To find out more about what people think about computers in this day and age, with mobile use left, right, and centre, Niall Kitson sat down and had a chat with the boss of Laptop Lab, Colin Baker. Colin, one of the great themes of technology over the last few years has been democratization and putting the power of technology in your hands. PCs, of course, have a reputation for being more modular, more customizable. But have you found people becoming more confident over time in sort of replacing the motherboard, replacing the RAM, etc.? Or are people still slightly standoffish with what they have and they would much rather pass it on to the to a professional to have a look at? 100% no to the first part of your question and 100% yes to the second part. Uh, and I think that prevails right the way across any kind of technical consumption that we have. So you look at cars, electric cars, modern vehicles that really the concept of either being broken down, of replacing a wheel yourself, of getting in under the bonnet and having a good look at a tinker around there, if sound right. Uh, the concept even of what I find is, is fairly basic DIY tasks. As societies air towards more affluence, they tend not to need to get their hands dirty with these sort of more mundane, more fundamental, more uh, retrograde tasks. And that prevails in computing as well, unfortunately. Uh, we're all about, you know, a lot of technicians who repair computers 
Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the price list online. This is the price if you've asked a, que- a friend and he said it's super easy. This is the price if you've had a go at it yourself and mocked it up. This is the, you know, a meme online from technicians who really don't want people having a go. We very much encourage people to have a go. Um, and, and I think it's, it's better for everybody when they know conscientiously how their computer works, what's involved with it that they might be able to render a repair if something happens or upgrade it when the time comes to give it a longer life. So I think in simple answer, no, unfortunately, as we become more affluent, those jobs of upgrading, servicing, and even just understanding what's going on inside uh, those machines has vastly reduced over the years. It's fascinating because I, I think when going shopping for a, for a PC or you know, a laptop or what have you. People do have the the shopping list sort of beside them. We need, you know, five, 12 gigs of storage. It has to be an SSD, et cetera. What would you regard as being those sort of major milestones that people pay attention to when they're putting together that shopping list and perhaps how it's changed over time? I mean, were, were people always as obsessed with RAM uh, or is this just a function of when they noticed there was more on their smartphones than in their PC? Mm, good question. Well, you've got different, very different types of consumers and, and customers. And there are certain things in the consumer space that people are very familiar with. And when you're looking at a shopping list or a spec list in a, uh, you know, in, in one of the, the big technology sheds, if you like, the curries or that, this world, you'll find that some of them, you know, You've got your leading points, your processor. People will know i3, i5, i7. Um, but that, what they don't often realize is the generations. They've been out for many, many years. So when you've got your i5, you could have a second gen i5 processor from the early noughties. And you think, oh, I'm doing okay. I've got an i5 processor. It, they vary significantly over their iterations and over time. People know RAM very well. Um, obviously, nowadays, 8 gig is about the baseline, 16 gig is ideal, and then you go up from there. People often know about it, but don't necessarily understand its function. And the simplest way that I tend to explain it is that it is the workspace that the processor gets to use. If it has a constrained workspace, it can't do as much and it might stutter. If it has a larger workspace, it can spit things out and take things in easily and readily. And whereas hard drive space there is a misconception there as well. An awful lot of people go, 256 gig SSD, I don't know if that's enough for me. But then you go on and you have a look at their existing use and their machine, and they're only using 40 or 50 gigs. So it's arbitrary whether they're going to have a 256 or a 512 or a one terabyte. So there is notions sometimes where people say, no, I really need a one terabyte. That'll make my machine faster. It doesn't, not necessarily. Well, certainly not at all, unless you start to completely run out of space. Um, I think it's horses for courses, really. You mentioned gaming is sort of at the spearhead. We would say that gaming machines are an entirely different monster um, in that in some ways they're a terrible machine. So if you take a gaming laptop, for example, because those machines run so hot, um, you've got uh, obviously a dedicated graphics card, uh, a much weightier machine, bigger charger, um, a bigger board with a bigger fan or fans, and um, bigger heat sinks and cooling systems. Um, and ultimately, they will get clogged up 
And we end up seeing most gaming laptops. And by gaming, I don't just mean gaming. You can buy a machine for AutoCAD or for heavy graphics work, and you decide I need a dedicated graphics card. And you end up with the thing running out of steam and dying a death after two years. So not being a reliable option. Whereas you might take a ThinkPad, which doesn't have a graphics card, and you're just a regular day-to-day user, and it's going to last a lot longer for business, admin, research, study, work for college, um, and just the general hoi polloi of computing and, and internet use. So it really just depends on the user at the end of the day and making sure that they find the right guidance and right, right advice. All too many times I've seen people buy gaming machines and, and they're just using Microsoft Office. And then they're wondering why the thing's dead in two years. Likewise, I've seen people replace three, four-year-old machines because they were running slow. And all they had to do was put more RAM in, get it reinstalled, give it a tidy up, and give it another four or five years. So there's a lot of mistakes made um, at the purchase end, but also on the ongoing basis. We'd often get people three or four years on with a computer, using it every day, and they come to me and they say, Mac, it's running really slow, Colin. I don't know what to do about it. And I'd say... When did it? When was it last serviced? And people go, well, service? It's not a car. Why do I need a service? Computers need ongoing service. We, some of our uh, managed services clients, so we look after um, corporate clients and, and commercial clients from pharmacies to clinics to the uh, solicitor's offices. And we're managing and monitoring their equipment and keeping it tidy and serviced and up to date all the time, in real time, 24-7. We're being flagged when there's issues across their network and we're rectifying it, you know, uh, right through the week. Um, at the businesses on their own that don't have that or individuals on their own that don't have that, they need a service about every year. It makes a big difference to the readiness, to the safety and security of their equipment and to the longevity of their equipment. Since 2007, when everything started to go mobile, it seemed that everything felt very portable. But did that sort of coincide with a sense that people felt they needed to have one of everything? They needed their PC, they needed a laptop, they needed a tablet. Uh, or you know, was there a gradual uh, acceptance that, you know what, if I'm only doing small things at home, I only need a tablet. Or, you know, I only need an e-reader, I don't need a tablet. Uh, have you found that sort of sense of people feeling they need the large toolkit or a greater pragmatism? I look, at the ideal world... Uh, we'd all be profoundly informed and enlightened as to what's available, what suits our needs, um, and 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 what we should be kind of avoiding and going for. Um, there are obviously other biases, like if we're an absolute gadget fiend like I am, I want a piece of everything. I want to experience it. I want to own it. I could argue argue that for the sake of my business, I need to be involved in everything and aware of everything. But ultimately, it comes down to, I love my tech. And I something new comes out, I want it. And I can't help that child inside me coming out and making that sometimes silly purchase. Um, there are many, many cases of people ending up with things that aren't suited to their needs. And like the famous case back in the early days of the tablet, where the tablet came along, um, both the Android tablets and the uh, iPads. Um, and as these came out, people thought, you know what, that's great. It's much lighter. It does all the same things as my laptop and my desktop. 
so it's a computer. And they went and got them and they decided they'd use them for college or for business. And they were terribly disappointed. And I think the year was, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was about 2009, January, February, March. It was the first year where tablets and iPads sold um, in, in huge quantities uh, for Christmas. And lots of people either treated themselves or bought for their family or friends. Um, and tablet sales were enormous. And there was a massive influx of returns of tablets and iPads back to the resellers and, and uh, retailers. By people, there was nothing wrong with them per se, but they bought them to replace computers and they'd hoped to use it for the same function. And they found that they couldn't define why they couldn't. Most people would say, well, the keyboard isn't right or I got the external keyboard, but it doesn't feel right. It's not as comfortable. It doesn't have the speed. It doesn't have the space. I don't have normal Microsoft Office, blah, blah, blah. Take your pick. But they were all individually quite minor foibles and, and complaints. But ultimately, it didn't suit the needs of somebody who needed to use a computer. Um, and I, that's a, sort of an example of where, like you mentioned earlier, that you know people might have an e-reader or uh, I actually got, I don't know if you've ever seen the... Um, the writing tablets, the recent writing tablets, the, uh, where you know, they come with a pencil and they're to replace paper. And they're very much like the writing tablets, except they work with a stylus. There's a few different brands out there. Some of them segue towards being tablets, but ultimately the, the, the screen is just too slow to respond in the way you're used to seeing on a standard panel on a laptop or a tablet. So they're, you're right. There are very distinct roles to these uh, different pieces of technology. Some people want all of it because they just do, but some people end up segueing into the wrong uh, product for, the, for their application and for their needs. And that iPad thing was an example of that. I think there's an interesting example of, uh, I suppose, picking up the, the best bits from one product and trying to integrate it into another is the, the basic fact of the touchscreen that if you give a young person, you know, inverted commas, something uh, with, a, with a screen on it, they're going to impulsively tap it and then wonder why is it, it hasn't responded in the way that maybe their phone does or yeah. maybe their PC does. But it's our touchscreens a legitimate differentiator when it comes to a product or is it still, you know, stay in your lane? It works well with a phone, it works well with a tablet. Eh. You mentioned earlier you really like your touchscreen and you slag Mac users for not having it for you. Is that okay to say? Are we getting you in trouble? <laughs> well, I can well, see it. I can see you taking the mic and saying, oh, I can't believe you have a touchscreen. Oh, you don't have a touchscreen? Wow. How much did you spend on that thing? <laughs> well, it's, it, it is one of these things that, you know, people do spend a lot of money on Macs, be it, you know, in desktop. But, you know, the MacBook being... What, what is it, the most popular individual model of uh, of laptop out there, but it doesn't right. have a touchscreen. Whereas right. I've got a PC that costs an awful lot less, uh, but does, even though I don't use the touchscreen function on it, it feels like I've got an awful lot more machine for my money. Yeah. Um, right. How you know, do you find that sort of um, discrepancy of, of, you know, I, I got a touchscreen, it's great. Do you not use touchscreens? You have a touchscreen, but you don't need I occasionally use it for presentations. 
95% of people, I would say, anecdotally, from, from what I see anyway, who have touchscreens on their laptops do not use for the long term. So even if they think they will and they buy it on that strength and they go, wow, that is a touchscreen, I'll get that one, it's only an extra 100 euro, whatever. They, they end up, if you poll them in six months, forgetting that they, they had one in the first place because it, they just didn't end up using it. You could argue that that's just tradition and what they're used to. So they've used computers since they were teenagers or kids or whatever, and they didn't have a touchscreen, so they got used to the mouse or the trackpad. Or you could just argue that Windows doesn't, like it's a, it's a computer operating system, it doesn't really um, fit with the touchscreen interface of your phone or a tablet as neatly. But for, from my experience, it doesn't make that much of a difference. I think the technician in me avoids them because the first thing I see when I see a touchscreen, and this shows you my experience, is, oh, heck, that's going to be like twice the price to replace when I break. So there's, <laughs> I mean, I they are. I mean, if you've got a touchscreen, it is a more awkward repair and it's a more expensive part. And I suppose, again, I'm biased because I spend all my days with, you know, servicing and serving people who come in the door with sad faces because they've just gone and dropped wine on their machine or smashed their machine at night or got a big virus or lost all their data or the battery's not working. You know, so I'm seeing these problems all the time. So I naturally err towards, okay, this is a cheaper way of doing things. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I think the difference is minimal when it comes to computers. Obviously touchscreens, um, are, are, are the only, uh, method you have of controlling a, an iPad or a tablet, you can plug in mice, mouses and things, but ultimately it's a, it's a, it's a touchscreen first operating system on your, on your, on your tablets and your phones. Well, seeing, seeing as we brought up the cultural differences between Mac and PC users, uh, go, going to that, that sort of famous ad campaign from what, the late, uh, late noughties, um, does the, uh, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC still hold water? Oh, look at your mischievous grin. Ah, it's a shame to use and can't see it. The listeners can't see it. <laughs> You're trying to get the uh, the divisive conversation going. And you, you know what? I remember, and uh, this will add to this, uh, back in two, probably a year or two years into our business, 2003, we went to a, a convention in Dublin from one of the distributors was holding it. I'd say it was Media, one of the big tech distributors. And uh, our technician at the time, lad from Finglas, um, and uh, a chap from what was the Apple store in Dublin at the time. Um, can't remember the name, but it had a separate name. But uh, they they actually went, uh, they had a couple of drinks and they were talking about Mac. They started talking about Mac versus Windows. And I came back to see them an hour later and they were squaring up to each other with fists out, ready to have an actual fight. <laughs> oh, and it wasn't. It hadn't been, veered, uh, you know, veered off course. It was just about Mac versus Windows. So just be thankful you're not involved in that. But look, the difference is, in some ways, it's it's nondescript for most people who you know use Teams or Slack and are busy and write documents and emails and research online and use online platforms and and and, and you know do the normal day to day of using a computer. The actual difference isn't phenomenal. You're using, most of what I do is inside Chrome. So it doesn't make that much of a difference anyway. Um, you look at things like obviously with Windows machines, you've got sort of a plethora of brands and models and varieties out there. The only reason that the MacBook Pro is the most popular individual machine is because there's so many versions of Windows machines. 
Windows is still far more prolific than Mac. Um, but the the uh, there's not really a case of one better than the other. I'm all, often asked which one is better. Mac is slightly better for security for the general day to day user. Not not you, know, you can still get people today who think they have a, a Mac and they can't get a virus or they can't be ransomware or they can't be hacked uh, or, or, or or fished. You you absolutely can, and we've seen it over and over. Over the difference is very minor between the two. Um, the compatibility is still better in Windows. If you you know pick a random collection of a hundred pieces of software, most of it will be Windows first. Um, you're still going to get more universal kind of familiarity and compatibility with Windows. Um, Mac is definitely more in, in terms of its user experience is more streamlined and cohesive. Whether you've got you know a, my phone rang a minute ago, my iPad just lit up, my phone lit up. And my watch lit up. You know, there's that coherence and cohesion between their devices. Um, and it, once you're inside that ecosystem, it does make things like backing up in the cloud far more automated and far easier to do. Even just moving from one iPhone to another is, and, or from one Mac to another is far more fluffy and friendly um, because there's so much variance in the Windows space. But look, I, I have to be honest, for me, I'm in business. I need something that's compatible. I don't want to spend the earth. And I want to be able to service and change things easily. And that's always going to be Windows. But if you've got a new MacBook Pro 14-inch you may for, and, and your cat bites off one of your keys, uh, well, you may just go off and buy a new one. The, the serviceability of some of the new Mac is just is, is scurrilously bad. Um, and and it's, it's anti-environment. It's anti-consumer. And, uh, I, you know, look, I love Mac as well. Um, and I have plenty of Apple products. Um, and they do some incredible work and they're beautifully engineered. But if you can't repair something, you can't service it. Um, they're very much anti to the right to repair movement and to just ultimately your ability to get a problem solved if it erupts in the middle of a big meeting or in the middle of a project. Just then, then, on that point of the right to repair and sustainability, um, e-waste is a massive problem. We're all very aware of it. Where do you feel the EU fits into the problem of managing e-waste? Well, thankfully, we've got this new Green Deal, um, which hasn't been spoken about much in the media. I think everyone's far more keen on talking about toothbrushes and and, um, and, and plastic cups and things like that. And that, you know, uh, certainly... That is an important conversation, and I'm glad to see that that movement is is um, is powerful at the moment. But the e-waste problem is far bigger, and it's not getting the um, the, the 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 talk and the attention that it deserves. Um, the anyone individually will will know how many they've got a box somewhere with you know three million cables that they're keeping just in case, but they'll probably never use again until somewhere they're recycled or dumped or whatever. Um, and it, it, it does, you mentioned something at the start of this, of um, the encouragement from the marketplace to buy new things and to buy things for slightly different tasks and basically to have a plethora of, of gadgets and gizmos and to upgrade on the regular. Um, this has all led to uh, a, a serious problem of consumption and how these things are, are, are recycled. Like ultimately, a typical laptop has 
takes enormous amounts of carbon to uh, to build, to uh, deliver, to uh, and even in its use, of course, as well. So the uh, I'm, I'm a huge protagonist of not replacing regularly. Um, I think the uh, the EU are going about it the right way with this Green Deal. The, the first uh, element of this we've seen take effect is the USB-C. And I'm sure you know about the USB-C plans. And we're seeing it kind of emerge in our devices. The new iPhone, uh, of course, has, has USB-C instead of lightning, big moon for Apple. Their iPads already did. Um, their, their, their laptops already do, even if they don't call it USB-C. Um, we're seeing that same across the board. And why are we seeing it? It's because the EU are making it a, an imperative that devices distributed in the EU from next year onwards are all USB-C. Now, what does that mean? It means you're going to have the same charger potentially that will work on your laptop, your phone, your iPad, your toothbrush. All your devices will be charged by USB-C. This will reduce the amount of e-waste significantly because you won't need to constantly replace cabling and power supplies. Um, By 2027, uh, the same strategy has them imposing a rule whereby uh, phone manufacturers and device manufacturers have to include the ability for users to replace their own battery. So as your battery fades after two years, as it does, the battery lasts about a 1,000 cycles with current technology, which you, you can't replace a battery in your iPhone yourself. And you could do it, but you need YouTube and a nice set of screwdrivers and a bit of patience and you know, a, a, a sort of propensity for risk-taking. Um, uh, the, you bring it to a specialist and they do it. But what they're going to make it the case is that you as a user are going to be able to go and buy a battery. You'll be able to clip one at, the old one out and pop a new one in. That's what they're going for. Now, I, I, I don't know how the, it's a, couple, it's a few years away yet, the market and the industry and the manufacturers haven't really responded in any way to that yet. But if they respond the way they have done to the USB-C uh, onslaught, well, that's going to be very good for users because they'll have devices that will last longer and they'll find it more, uh, more inexpensive and, and, I suppose, more convenient to service at least that element of the device. And that was Colin Baker, also known as the Gadget Guy from the Laptop Lab. You can find him online at backfromthefuture.ie. That website address, uh, of course, noted in the show notes in the description area of this podcast. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. That's it for our show this week. Do check out some more stories online that we didn't have time to talk about in the podcast today, including a new roadmap for cybersecurity in Ireland, some good news for job seekers in IT, and how Microsoft's financials for the second quarter spell great news for gamers. You'll find those and more online at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday with a brand new show online and on RT Radio 1 Extra. Do remember to share our podcast as well with a friend. Just tell them to look up Tech Radio Ireland on Apple, Spotify or YouTube and they're sorted. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Lyle Kitson, as always, take care and have a great bank holiday weekend. Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Share the knowledge and invite a friend to listen. Search Apple, Spotify or YouTube for Tech Radio Ireland or listen with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Tech Radio is produced by dustpod.io for techcentral.ie. From me, Artemis, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.